Chris Gowser here with Matt Owl. And in this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to discuss David Lowry's adaptation of the classic 14th century poem based in Camelot, Matt, The Green Knight. And then we're going to begin our brand new samurai marathon with Kahachi Okamoto's The Sword of Doom. Matt, a movie I have owned on DVD for 10 years and never watched. So finally, I can check that off the list. We'll tell you what's coming up on physical media, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then finally, Matt and I are going to close out the show with another round of Call It. We're going to have to make some hard decisions, folks, and I'll be curious to see what you think of those calls as well. But let's start everything off with a clip from The Green Knight. Oh, greatest of kings, indulge me in this friendly Christmas game. Let whichever of your knights is boldest of blood and wildest of hearts step forth. Take up arms and try with honor to land a blow against me. Whomsoever nicks me shall lay claim to this my arm. Its glory and riches shall be thine. But... Thy champ must bind himself to this. Should he land a blow, then one year and your tied hands, he must seek me out yonder, to the green chapel, six nights to the north. He shall find me there and bend a knee and let me strike him in return, be it a scratch on the check or a cut in the throat. I will return what was given to me, and then in trust and friendship we shall part. Who then? Who is willing to engage with me? Sounds like quite the game, Matt. So why don't you tell the fine folks at home, if you want to flesh it out a little bit, what is The Green Knight all about? All right. So as you said, it's a modern retelling of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, a uh, poem, an epic poem from the 14th century of England. Um, essentially, Gawain is a nephew of King Arthur. And um, as you heard in the clip, during the Christmas celebration, a mysterious Green Knight made out of wood and leaves approaches the round table and offers that challenge that you just heard. Uh, Gawain takes up the challenge and possibly foolishly cuts off the knight's head. And at which point he is now destined to meet up with the knight and receive the same blow one year hence. Good times. So Matt, I walked out of this last night and all I can think of was you. And I'm not <laughs> sure where you're going to fall on this. Because I feel like this could, A, be like right up your alley. Right. Right. Or B, be just an infuriating, pretentious experience for you. Right. Right. Or maybe a little bit of both. So mm-hmm. where did you fall with the Green Knight? Now, I'm not I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it's not pretentious. It has an air of pretentiousness to it. Um, but I don't care. Uh, I think that I'm okay with it in this particular instance because I had a really, um, I guess good time watching this is the, uh, is the appropriate phrase. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. I had wrapped attention in this thing the whole time. I was just like glued to the screen. It's got this very dreamlike, um, almost nightmarish quality to it. And at times it's very confusing. Um, and it kind of just like forces you just kind of experience it and then think about it later. Um, being familiar with the, source material um helped but overall i think this thing is really 
comes down to the visuals and the performances, and I think both of which are top notch. Now, see, I was not familiar with it at all. In mm-hmm. fact, I didn't realize until maybe halfway through and then doing some research for the show last night that this is not just this is like King Arthur stuff. He he's in Camelot. He's in Night mm-hmm. of the Round Table. Uh, the sickly king played by Sean Harris. You know, that's King Arthur. That's that's uh, Guinevere's, you know, kind of possessed voice we just heard. Mm-hmm. Morgan Le Fay is Gawain's, Gawain's. How do you pronounce it? I know there's a couple different pronunciations out there. Do you have a preferred one? I always say, I've always pronounced it Gawain or Gawain. Um, I've pronounced it Gawain most of the time. Fair enough. So Morgan Le Fay plays uh, his mother. And of course, she is the sister of King Arthur. Mm-hmm. And the two of them have, I don't know, is it fair to say they've butted heads throughout the uh, stories? Yeah, she's kind of his nemesis, his villain, his opposite. Um, you know, so yeah, she's she's kind of the villain of the series, but not not really. So and there's a lot of things that uh, that Lowry brings to this story that I found that just were not part of the original poem. He adds the story of Winifred. Right into the story. There's the interaction with the scavengers that are added in as well. There are the you know, there's lots of little things that he adds into this story. Matt, how did you feel about that? Did you felt like was he trying to pad the runtime, or do they all kind of add to the narrative to tell this greater story about Gowan? I think they add to the greater narrative. I think it helps that those kind of additions didn't feel out of place for the type of thing that you may encounter in kind of one of these epic uh, myths that they had back then. And I think it served to show Gowan's uh, character, really. And I think that's really what's most important in these things. Really, yeah, because that is a story he's telling, right? So I don't know how deep we want to get into this. Because A, I don't want to provide a lot of spoilers. But B, I think Lowry makes this purposely dense and Mm -hmm. does not hold your hand. And there's a lot of it that's just not readily apparent or available or exactly of what's happening and why. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is striving to do something different here. And I think he's very successful. Just like you said, one of my notes reads, it has this dreamlike quality to it, right? As if you're watching something being told to you and you're imagining it as somebody tells it to you. And Lowry is able to capture that visually and then present it to us. And he is refusing, I think, really to be defined by traditional narrative structures while you're, you're watching this because he takes his deviations in in the original story but also he still stays i think relatively true to the whole point of what the play is play excuse me the poem is which is gowan's quest to become though i guess in the original he's already a knight here mm-hmm. lowry makes him not quite a knight yet right and a lot of ways he's waiting for these things to happen to him right he wants to be a knight he wants to kind of take that next step. But he doesn't seem to know that he has to take action in order for those things to happen. He's mm-hmm. going to go on this quest. He's going to meet the knight. And then something will happen. And then he'll be promoted. He'll be a knight now. And it's not until the end that I think he truly understands what it means to have honor and to make for- forthright decisions. Because he has this whole sequence where he envisions what's going to happen to him if he survives mm-hmm. this interaction with the green knight right and i think comes to the conclusion maybe that maybe that's not the best thing to happen to him or the kingdom 
right trying to skirt around everything but then it, lowry also deals with like what is it to have honor there's a talk about spirituality chivalry um we talk about class here i mean it's really it's he keeps it very ambiguous so it ends up being kind of a a choose your own adventure of what is this movie really all about and i really kind of respected and enjoyed that aspect of it i think if you pay attention to certain things and i think there's some experiences that you had a better experience than i did i went on a tuesday night cheapy night with a relatively probably 30 plus people in my theater Mm-hmm. And, but the problem is I had a poor audience. I had people okay. walking in and out of the theater a few times as the movie was playing. I had mm-hmm. people going for refreshments. I had one guy drop his mega gulp, you know, in the middle <laughs> of the movie and people going, oh, shit. You know, it was just it was very infuriating. So <laughs> I'm glad you had a better uh, experience in that. But anyway, Lowry does kind of set things up if you're paying attention. Like there's a reveal at the end with the green knight where i don't know if you noticed this but he takes on different his face changes mm-hmm. and becomes kind of some of the different people he's met on the way i guess the original originally plays out right is that the green mm-hmm. knight is actually the lord right and it's morgan lafay manipulates him or does something to basically just to test his honor to see yeah. if he'll be truthful and honest or not right that's the whole thing and she does and she does this for all the knights Gowan's not his her kid, though, I guess, in the original no. story. No, he's not. But he is, but she's still Arthur's sister, so. And did you get a vibe at all that Lowry kind of hinting that Gowan is actually Arthur's son and not just um, his nephew? I didn't get that. I I got it as the sense of the way I interpreted all that in the like, his relationship with Gowan is bloodlines are incredibly important if you're a king and they have no children so really gawain is his heir and i think he's coming to realize that as he's kind of sickly and at the end of his life is that oh you know this person that i never really had anything to do with is suddenly gonna probably may be the king um after i die because there's nobody else that's interesting i mean because he also and i'm talking a lot there's a lot of things with kind of the spirituality but then christianity versus paganism but also mm-hmm. there's a big thing here about chastity and, yeah. and and sex and all that as well so i wasn't quite sure about that i guess i think again an ambiguous touch by lowry here and he gives vikander this really great monologue near the end of the film about the power i guess of green and mm-hmm. I found that really, really interesting. I don't know. It's a lot of really fascinating decisions he makes in this film. And it's, as you said, Matt, I was pretty uh, stuck with this film. And it, it actually is, the more I thought about it, the more of an impact it's had on me. And I enjoy it more and more than even just walking out of the theater initially being, wow, that was impressive. Now I'm like, damn, there's so much in this. It's such a layered experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is one of those films that's going to really benefit from repeated viewings. And I think, it, you know, it's tough because you, I feel like there's a lot of nuance that I miss. There's a lot of things I'd like to watch over and I just, I just can't until it comes out. So yeah, it's something I'll definitely end up picking up just because I want to see like, you know, what else is there? What else is uh, there to, to pick up on? What we should have done is we should have teamed it with uh, sword of the valiant, the legend of Sir Gawain and the green Knight. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with this version by Stephen Weeks? No, I'm 1984 not. by Canon. Uh-uh. uh-uh. Miles O'Keefe plays Gowan. Sean Connery plays the Green Knight. 
Oh, great. <laughs> There's something about you. Just, just Google that, folks. It looks absolutely terrible, but something that I think needs to be seen. Mm. So, all right. I don't know. I don't know. This is really just a fascinating experience. Did it live up to the hype, Matt? This is one of the more hyped films, ones we were looking forward to last year that got delayed. Yeah, I think it lives up to the hype for the hype of what it was. I think mm-hmm. this was more hyped by film nerds than it is than like the wider public. It's not like it's going to have Black Widow or, or uh, Suicide Squad levels of hype. This just seemed like this was one of those A24 films that's kind of weird, kind of layered, has a fantasy bent to it. And I think a certain degree of people are all on board on that. And I think all of those people are on Twitter and talking about it. So that's where the hype came from. And I think it lived up to that, if people are being honest. Yeah, this is definitely a film nerd movie. I think the uh, cinema score is like C, maybe yeah. C plus. There's a right. lot of few people that did not get what they had expected right. from this film. I love too, you know, like you said, where Arthur and Guinevere are kind of sickly and then yeah. but the green knight and his kingdom and all that whatever the chapel is all green and powerful and right. all of these just little decisions that he makes really it's a, like you said matt it demands rewatching. you can dissect this thing over and over again and uh yeah good time man i just uh, i don't want to reveal too much all right <laughs> we're gonna give green knight matt i decided to give it an a minus uh yeah i think i'm gonna go ahead and give it one of my oh so rare full a's we'll see how many Ooh. of those i actually end up giving out this year Look at you. Good times. We've had a chance to see The Green Knight currently playing in theaters near you. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Or if you've seen Sword of the Valiant, The Legend of Sir Gawain and The Green Knight, let us know if we should check that one out too. Good times. All right, now let's spend a few minutes to talk about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, August 10th. This is a film that I really loved as a kid, but I have not seen it since so I, I'm terrified to revisit it at some point. Let's see our clip. Hey, Stork guys! Hey, who? What's happening? How do you do? Hi, it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been, ah! Nice to meet you. Yeah, me too. What's going on here? What's with the big fish? Ah, uh, they're shooting the seagulls that movie phone here. Yeah, but, but the giant dolphin with rabies that terrorizes a small New England town? Wow. We're going to work part-time as security guards on the set. So what, you guys got the day off from the garage? We're, we're doing, doing the job. job. We're picking up a boat. boat. Whose boat is it? Yeah. Oh, Matt, those 80s summer comedies with the, uh, <laughs> the geeks and the nerds versus the cool rich people. Right. Of course, that was Rob De Niro and Al Pacino in uh, One Crazy Summer. And of course, I'm sure you were able to identify Bobcat Goldweight in that, mm-hmm. of course, with John Cusack. And then Demi Moore plays that film as well. I remember One Crazy Summer? I don't think I ever actually saw it. I remember I remember very vividly the, the, the slipcover for the VHS, but I've never actually seen it. So Cusack plays Hoops McCann, which is one of the cooler names. He's bound to get that basketball scholarship after high school, right? Wrong. What Hoops really wants to do is write and illustrate a love story. This is, I think, also... Remember the... Did you ever see the part? Oh, you haven't seen it, though. The uh, claymation-esque hamburger thing with the Van Halen song, Everybody Wants Some, where it comes to life with yeah, the electricity that, and plays a guitar. Yeah, but isn't that in Better Off Dead? Oh, is that Better Off Dead? Yeah, that's when he's working at the Pig Palace. 
That's right. Yeah. I'm confused by Cusack, 80s summer movies. I have seen that. Yes, I've definitely seen that. I appreciate the uh, correction. Man, I have to watch One Crazy Summer then. Because I clearly mixed it up with Better Off Dead. I got to catch up on that then. That's right. De Niro and Pacino are in that one. All right. Also coming up, we have here. I you know I haven't seen the first one in the series here. The House Next Door, Meet the Blacks Part Two with Mike Epps, Cat Williams, Snoop, and Danny Trejo. From Beverly Hills, the Chicago Burbs, Mayhem and Hilarity seem to follow the Blacks wherever they go. After surviving a night of terror on the West Coast, the not so best selling author Carl Black, played by Mark Epps, excuse me, Mike Epps, moves his family back to his childhood home in the Windy City, where he hopes to find the peace and quiet he needs to write his new book. Rennie Harlan returns Matt with The Misfits, featuring Tim Roth, Pierce Brosnan, and Jamie Chung. Finding You with Catherine McNamara and Vanessa Redgrave is being released. Finley, a talented, aspiring violinist, meets Beckett, a famous young movie star, on the way to her college semester abroad in a small coastal village in Ireland. An unexpected romance emerges as the heartthrob Beckett leads the uptight Finley on an adventurous reawakening. American Traitor. Based on the true story, the trial of Axis Sally follows the life of American woman Mildred Gillers and her lawyer, who struggle to redeem her reputation. Pacino's in this one, though. But it's one of those looks like straight-to-DVD films. My heart can't beat unless you tell it to. Two mysterious siblings find themselves at odds, Matt, over the care for their frail and suckly younger brother. Turns out this is actually like a, a horror vampire film. Profile by D. Tamer Brekhamatov. Remember the... Um, Night Watch, Day Watch series. I yes, I do remember the hype around that, and it was being it was supposed to be like really cool. I remember watching Night Watch. I never watched any of the other one. They're pretty good. And then he did Wanted, right? The uh, I believe he did that too. Well, Teamer returns in profile. An undercover British journalist infiltrates the online propaganda channels of the so-called Islamic State, only to be sucked in by her recruiter. Batman: The Long Halloween Part Two. This is the animated film is coming out. Includes a DC showcase, which is a brand new animated short featuring Blue Beetle. Did you see Long Halloween Part 1? I have not. I have not either, no. Hopefully you'll hit the uh, HBO Max at some point. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is giving us Afterlife. After death, people have a week to choose. Only one memory to keep for eternity. A brand new 2K restoration approved by the writer-director Hirokazu Koreeda. Audio commentary, new interviews, and deleted scenes included with that one. Paramount is releasing A Place in the Sun, a brand new 4K restoration. George Eastman is a poor young man determined to win a place in a respectable society and the heart of a beautiful socialite. Includes a new filmmaker focus, which is Leonard Maltin doing a little featurette on the film. A commentary by George Stevens Jr. and more. Nashville is being released by Paramount. This is one of the Criterion films that is now out of print. Brand new 4K restoration of that. Also includes a legacy commentary by Robert Altman. The Treasure of Jamaica Reef, also known as Evil in the Deep by Dark Forest Entertainment. A suspense-filled adventure drama about the search for a treasure-laden Spanish galleon. Galleon. Galleon, right? That's the name of the ship. Yeah, Galleon. That sunk over 200 years ago. Features a soundtrack by Christopher Stone of Phantasm 2. Get a brand new 2K remaster of that. Full Moon Features is releasing Angel of Death from Jess Franco. A Jewish commando unit hunting Nazi war criminals tracks down the infamous Dr. Joseph Mengele in the jungle and find that he's torturing new bile young virgins 
and performing horrible medical experiments on the locals. Sounds right up Franco's alley. An uncut master culled from the original 35mm camera negative is here for your approval. Kino is releasing Desire, starring Melina Dietrich and Gary Cooper. Brand new 2K master of that. The OSS, 2K master of that one as well. Backstreet, with a new audio commentary. Lilies of the Field, featuring Sidney Poitier. Peter Ibbotson, a Gary Cooper vehicle. And then FP1 doesn't answer, a gigantic floating platform built in the Mid-Atlantic, Mac, for use as an oceanic airport. However, its destruction seems imminent at the hands of foreign saboteurs. Mondo is giving us The Frenchman's Garden. This is a Paul Nache film. A Frenchman arrives in a small town. No one knows where he came from. He establishes himself as a moneylander, turns his house into a brothel. Bullfighters and other types of people frequent the French Garden, but some of them never return. This is how I met Matt, actually. A brand new 4K restoration with the original camera negative on that one and the new audio commentary. Matt, you're straight to DVD pick of the week. I'm going to go with 5G Zombies. The conspiracy theorists are right. The human race struggles to survive as governments have conspired to turn the citizens of the world into zombies via their brand new 5G cell service during a global pandemic. Turn it on and be turned into one of the undead. See, that's why I got my old flip phone. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Uh, I'm going to recommend a new action horror film that's out on Netflix right now called Blood Red Sky. Um, It is a German film about a single mother and her son who are taking a transatlantic flight when it is suddenly um, taken over by terrorists. But the terrorists didn't count on one thing. One of the passengers is a vampire. Um, it's actually surprisingly fun. Um, it's got kind of a dust till dawn, thirty days a night, uh, snakes on a plane thing going. It's 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 stupid, but it's it's pretty fun. Good times. We'll have to check that one out. Okay, man. So we've been pushing this off for a while. Yeah, we haven't done a marathon in quite a while here. Mm-hmm. So we decided to start things off here. We're gonna do a samurai marathon, and we're kicking it off with again, as I said in the opening. A film I have owned on DVD forever, but never watched. And we'll see if that ended up being a good blind buy. Let's talk a little bit, Matt, about The Sword of Doom. ご特に応じしがありますならば一日も早く私はあの世へ親父旅の巡礼だなはい孫と二人連れでございます少し前へ出ろここへ出て西を向け Quite an opening, Matt. We start off with an elderly Buddhist monk and his daughter, granddaughter. And they're on a pilgrimage. And that's where we meet Renosuke Suku, who basically says, hey, how's it going? I'm going to kill you now. And uh, that's it. And that is the beginning of our story here as in the Sword of Doom, Renosuke, am I nailing that right? I feel like I'm not getting that right. I I don't know. The guy who owns the Sword of Doom, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> he is one bad hombre. Matt, this is a very different take on the samurai film that I have experienced because this is a character basically without empathy, without remorse. He is a man driven mad by his lack of compassion and empathy. He, we have a lead who has clearly just embraced evil, Matt. And this is one of the darker films I have seen. I mean, this is pre a lot of the uh, horror stuff that were to come out um, later on in the decade. It's 66. We're close to the end. But still, this was an interesting experience for me. With each of his victims' blood, Matt, that's attained by his sword. And I say that specifically because there is that experience that one scene too where they talk about that right every time the sword basically takes a life this the owner of it gets darker and darker and eviler and eviler and he actually becomes about this demonic force hell bent basically on murder he's a force of nature an embodiment of amoral death and it is quite an experience what were your thoughts on the sword of doom yeah so there are parts of this that I really, really liked with, but I think it's hampered a little bit in the method of its storytelling. Like mm-hmm. I think, I think each vignette in and of itself, there's at least one or two scenes that are just, just absolutely riveting. They just are classics. You're watching this thing and I'm so into it. And then this thing will just jump forward, like, you know, years. And it's like, okay, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the way they kind of, kind of glacially build this thing out. Um, But, you know, the action sequences, the, the acting, the kind of visuals that they do, the shorthand that they put out there is, is, is fantastic. I, I really enjoyed watching this, but I, at the same time, I think it could have been improved by rating in some of its more, I don't know, old-fashioned impulses, I think. Well, I would say, too, if I had any, and I hesitate to use the word, issues with the film, it is in, intricately plotted. It is a very dense film. There's a mm-hmm. lot happening. And and unfortunately, at least for this dumb American, Okamoto does not really hold your hand through it. I confess, I had to rewind a couple times to grasp what was happening mm-hmm. and kind of make sense of it. That's how dense the film is. But once I grasped the, the stakes of what was happening, right, and the real depth that was happening in this film, I was absolutely riveted by it. I mean, this is more than just a body count film. This is not a, a samurai slasher movie, right? I mean, there is some intrigue. There's a lot of this stuff happening, but I think if there's any weakness of the film, it's just too dense. It really mm. is. And mm. I, I'm not ashamed to admit, like I said, I had to rewind it. But uh, once I captured it, I'm, I, I was all in. It was fascinating watching our lead character's descent in the madness, right? I mean, we're, we're really watching the creation of a myth, of a campfire, scary horror tale being told to you. We're watching it happen here. And I would really, I can't get over how mean the film is at times as well. I mean, Ryunsuk is the way he interacts with people and he gets this look in his eyes, this crazy, you know, look in his eyes, his interactions with his mistress, the um, when he just stumbles across people and he's walking to town and he joins up with this group of. I guess, what, assassins or that kind of act as a pseudo law enforcement in this town and they go around and kind of just assassinate people and uh, just 
just watching him take that next step every time with like nary a concern about the ultimate consequences of what he's going to do. Uh, it was just really cool to see. I mean, maybe the narrative is a little dense, but the film's calling card really is uh, Runasuk. Just watching his evolution throughout this film, or de-evolution perhaps, I'm not sure. And what a finish, man. When he finally takes that turn and just becomes this, this storm, this hurricane of death. And just a way to I love how the, and the film just kind of cuts and it ends, right? And it's just like, ah, oh, that's it. I mean, at this point, you can envision him just murdering the entire country and not being able to be stopped, right? right. It's just really just incredible stuff to watch. Uh, I really enjoyed the Sword of Doom. I think maybe it tries to be a little too lofty in its message. Do you think it would have improved if it was more of a straightforward, like, let's just kill everybody we see type of a film or if it was more, if it was more 13 assassins, uh, yeah. as opposed to seven samurai kind of thing, yeah. I, I guess uh, maybe, I think, um, I think we're kind of conditioned to see these things. I mean, especially like watch We've watched a couple martial arts marathons where you have a lot of the Hong Kong films and stuff like that. So you're kind of primed to get these things as like, kind of like an action film kind of thing. Whereas it's that, but this is also supposed to be like, um, mid 60s period piece for japan kind of thing that's really what this genre is so this is like watching i don't know what's the best uh analogy i mean something like you know the jesse james movie this is that kind of thing for that period in japan so it's got a different feel to it and i think I think we suffer a little bit just not having some of the shorthand that's there and not having some Mm -hmm. of the background like you know i had to realize okay this is Edo period but it's like late Edo period it's like right before that kind of like whole system collapses kind of thing Um, and it kind of helped frame all that stuff but yeah I mean like I said I enjoyed this quite a bit I think there are some parts that are kind of narratively confusing and you will be a little bewildered trying to keep up with that and I guess your your mileage may vary on how much you tolerate that but I think overall it's a really rewarding experience I think we're off to a good start Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, watching Mifune uh, mess people up in the snow is uh, <laughs> very much my jam. That was probably one of my favorite scenes in the film. Speaking of Mifune, I mean, if you think his Sinjuro character, you know, and Yunjinbo, and, and Sinjuro is a loose moral character, good mm-hmm. Lord, folks, you have no idea what you're getting into <laughs> with the Sword of Doom. So yeah, I ended up giving it a B plus, Matt. Uh, yeah, I ended up giving it a B. Still a really strong film. Good start to that marathon, Matt. I cannot wait to see what we have up next. Should be uh, uh, should be a lot of fun here. What are we doing next anyway? It's going to be uh, uh, oh, Shogun Assassin. Yeah, which is the the American version of uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, right? The first two films kind of squished together. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward to that. Good times. All right. What are your thoughts of the Sword of Doom? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Okay, Matt, it's time for call. Why don't we go ahead and make some hard decisions? I cannot wait to see what you have come up with. We're going to start things off with a little levity after all the uh, death and sadness that we've been talking about so far. What are you afraid of, man? I'm your partner. You can tell me. What the hell are you hiding from? I was a sophomore in college. The university I went to decided they needed to raise tuition. A classmate of mine, Brenda, in an effort to raise money and, and 
stay in school, came up with a nifty plan where she, she thought she'd date guys and, and charge them money. I go on dates all the time with a whole bunch of, you know, boys and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I kind of need somebody to help me out, like, you know, my partner in crime. Yeah, I could make a, I could make a schedule. Yeah, 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 that's what I was thinking. Provide transportation services. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be a good time. Thanks so much for She asking. said she needed my help to make sure that the dates went okay, that the, the guys paid her. She said she'd give me a percentage. Oh my God, you were a pimp. What? God, no. No, I was just trying to help a friend. That's true. That's uh, very helpful. <laughs> like that, that clip goes on like, are you even listening to the story? What are you talking about? <laughs> That, of course, is a clip from The Other Guys. So, Matt, call up. We have to choose one or the other. Talladega Nights or The Other Guys? Oh, The Other Guys, hands down. I, I like Talladega Nights, but I don't think it's as good as everybody makes it out to be. I think I think Other Guys, um, Step Brothers, I think those are vastly superior films to Talladega Nights. So I could easily take uh, some many things over Talladega Nights. Well, I think I, I, we agreed Anger Man's like his best film. Is that fair? Yeah, out of the out of the Farrell McKay partnership, yeah, I think that's the best one. So then, if you had to go Step Brothers or the other guys, then if you think that's better, Step Brothers. There's just something about John C. Riley in that film. Mm. I haven't watched Step Brothers in a very long time. I think I'd have to watch it again before making that decision. But I would probably go Other Guys as well over Talladega. And right now, I would probably go Other Guys over. Step Brothers, without not having rewatched. I'll maybe I'll have to work all three of these in at some point. I haven't watched either of them in a long time, mm. but both I think top shelf uh, Will Ferrell comedies. All three of those, really. Yeah, I think Step Brothers is more ridiculous um, and it's more ludicrous, um, but I think it's funnier because it doesn't have that. It doesn't have really any message beyond being silly and stupid, unlike the other guys. That's true. Other guys does kind of fall apart at the end when McKay right. tries to shoehorn his. Uh, message into the end of it doesn't quite right. work as well there what do you got all right so call it um both of these these actors um are kind of obsessed with their superhero role and they're like super excited about it all the time and i'm getting kind of annoyed with it um <laughs> but it may not be fair because one of them we haven't seen but we have seen a lot of his work so call it margot robbie harley quinn or black adam dwayne johnson that's tough because we have, like you said, we haven't seen any of uh, Dwayne I, Johnson's Black Adam. I know, I know, but we have seen a lot of Dwayne Johnson. That's true. It's not like it's <laughs> going to be a big surprise what we're going to get. Here's the thing, and I don't know if this is blasphemous to say, but I have not enjoyed Harley Quinn really in any of the films. I mean, Birds of Prey, I have affection for. And I think it's the best interpretation of the character so far. But from what I've been hearing and reading, that the Suicide Squad is fantastic. Is it? But, um, though, I don't know if you heard today, Gunn really stepped on his message today. He did some interview where he talked about how Scorsese's trying to get press for his next film. That's why he's bashing comic book movies. Like, you know, Scorsese needs the... Uh, the promotion there. I don't know what right. he's thinking. I'm assuming something's out of context. I don't know. Either way, I mm, I guess sight unseen, I'm going with Black Adam as my preferred uh, experience. Especially, honestly, they're introducing the JSA, which is where my yeah. DC comic book heart is at. So, yeah. Okay. Fair I mean, enough. Dr. Fate on the big screen. I cannot wait. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with Black Adam 2, Sight Unseen. I 
one i really shazam is still my favorite it's still my favorite dceu film so i'm kind of hoping that we get at least some of that in black adam and i i haven't loved the harley quinn character on the big screen so far but at the same time i was never a huge fan of harley quinn in general i mean she's mm-hmm. not a comic originals character she came out in the the animated series and i thought she was good in small doses but i don't really have the affection that a lot of people seem to have for the character i just uh i know especially with that accent it gets grating after a little while no matter how bad how well it's done so i'm curious say they went in a very very different direction for indiana jones if you had to choose two actors which of these two would you choose to be indy stallone or schwarzenegger Oh my God! <laughs> who would be who would be the worst Indiana Jones? I don't know. That is such an awful choice between the two of them. I I guess Schwarzenegger. I guess Schwarzenegger. I would prefer just because even though the accent is ridiculous, mm-hmm. I feel like at least he has the ability to bring some of that levity, especially in some of his later roles to to Indiana Jones. Whereas I just think. Anything kind of funny is just beyond Stallone to perform. I don't know. I always have a weird affection for Oscar. But I think in the end you're correct. And this is against, even with my bias with Arnold included, I think that I would rather see Arnold Schwarzenegger as Indiana Jones. He has more charisma, I think, than Stallone does. You you just like seeing him. And I just think he'd have a better interpretation, if you will, if I may. (laughs) <laughs> of Indiana Jones than Stallone would. I think that would be a, a better viewing experience for sure. All right. Um, again, so I'm going to give you another unfair one. You ready? Okay. Because we haven't we haven't seen it yet, but I, I'm I'm anticipating this is lead up to next week's show. So call it Groot or King Shark, and you can go comic book if you have to. I mean, I would go King Shark, I think. I just, depending on the interpretation, from what I understand, again, another Stallone reference. He's the one that voices King Shark in the uh, Suicide Squad. I didn't know that. Okay. He he was a fun character even on the Flash TV show, but here it's just supposed to be totally off the, off the rails crazy. And uh, Groot is more of a cute, fun, you know, a heartwarming heroic character where king shark is just this at least it looks like in this film just insane exceptionally <laughs> dumb killing force is all mm-hmm. he is so mm-hmm. i don't i just think it's it's rife with comet potential and yeah that's i'm really looking for, that's one of the things i'm most looking forward to is seeing what he does with king shark from what i understand spoilers folks the opening of suicide squad like the first eight to ten minutes is supposed to be intense and insane like and if you're on board with that you're going to be on board with the film if not you're going to be miserable but it's supposed to be really just over the top crazy violence okay and that like supposedly some people like walked out of the screenings it was so crazy (laughs) so that should whet your appetite a little bit matt for suicide squad but who would you go king shark or uh groot uh as much as i love like teenager group and uh like his kind of surly attitude in some of the later films i would go king shark i did read the the suicide squad comic that i think this is kind of loosely based off of um and king shark was awesome in that so from a few years ago so i i'm i'm going with king shark 
There you go. All right, I'm going to give you two John Carpenter films to close out my portion of this round of Call It. The Fog or The Prince of Darkness? Which would you choose? Oh, boy. I think I'd go with The Fog just because it's overall creepier. It's more of a straight-up conventional horror film, but I think I would go with The Fog. Yeah, I, I'm i still not sure. I was gonna, I'm trying to make this a game time. This is, I've been going back and forth in this when I thought about it like last week. If I, I just, because there's, there, I think for me, different elements. Uh, they're very, I should, so The Fog is his kind of classic ghost story. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, I guess originally the studio thought it was too tame. So they, resh- they did some extra shooting and introduced some gore elements into the film because it just was all mood and atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Well, Prince of Darkness is there's a weird charm in it and i don't know if it's particularly really that good (laughs) but conceptually it's got a lot of fun ideas some good effects and a cast of kind of like b-level actors if not Mm c-level that are all really entertaining Uh, but in the end i think i probably would go the fog as well I think it's just, it's a really interesting little ghost story that he tells, even with the introduction of the more of the gore elements. I think it's still very effective and it still works and it's a fun experience. So yeah, I'd go with The Fog as well. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I haven't seen either one of them in a really long time. You got to get on that. I think uh, I watched The Fog last year around Halloween. And The Prince of Darkness I watched, I don't know, about two years ago again. Both Scream Factories, uh, both releases that are pretty good. I don't feel a need to upgrade to 4K for any of those films. Mm -hmm. Though there is on Amazon a guy who's selling a four-pack. I've looked at it, Matt, I don't know, a dozen times thinking about buying it. It's a UK import, but it's 4K, right? Okay. You remember 4K are universal. They'll play anywhere. They're not region-coded. Okay. And it's... Prince of Darkness, The Fog, They Live, and um, Escape from New York. Basically okay. for 50 bucks wow. for all four and 4K. It's not it's, bad. And it doesn't, I believe, have any of the special features that the deluxe edition sets have that were released. It's basically just yeah. the films. But yeah. So what? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's If I were to buy them, it would be that where I'd pay like 50 bucks and get all four. Right. Right. But I don't know. We'll have to see. But I did, you know what? I did pull the trigger on. Arrow's uh, Shawscope box. Oh, did you? Not this Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. So it's going to sit on your shelf and not be watched? Exactly. Well, yeah. I've watched a few of those, but I just, it's it's too great a package. You know, I, I have not opened and I've got it for Christmas three years ago. I okay. got it the year it came out. So okay. do your own research. That Bergman box set from Criterion. <laughs> I was literally going to bring that up. I was like, I remembered you got it. So I was like, are you have you even opened the burger nope. box out of this? Still time? in the plastic. Oh gosh, Chris. <laughs> I end up rewatching, you know, Prince of Darkness or the Fog again instead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of these days. You know what? I'm retired. Another um how old am I? Another five years when I hit sixty five mm-hmm. and I'm retired. I'll just start watching all of that stuff. Yeah, I look forward to it. A whole <laughs> new a whole new era of the show. I'll be all pausing right. the show to get my Metamucil. Go ahead. What do you got? <laughs> The pick a pick a king of the genres, all right, of the genre character actors, Carl Urban or Alan Rickman. One stays, one's got to go. So does Alan Rickman play Dread? 
No. Um, no. No. This would just be remove their remove their ovra as if it yeah. never existed. No Hans Gruber. No. No. Uh, uh, guy from Galaxy Quest whose name character's name I'm forgetting at this point. Um, so none of that stuff. Yeah, I don't. Mm. I just just the volume of work. I got to go to Rickman. There's mm. a wide variety of films that are really good. And I'm sorry for Carl Urban, but Dread and Star Trek, that's about it, right? That uh uh no, he was he was in uh he was in the Bourne movies. Um he yeah, but... was in the so? Lord of the Rings. Uh, so So <laughs> I mean, but those Carl are films are as Those our... aren't properties that are going to go away because he's not around. I'm talking about the ones that would go away. Well, the only one that better. would possibly go away would be Dredd. You could recast his McCoy. You could recast any of those people. Like, no, nobody's going to go away because of... You think Harry Potter's going to go away because Alan Rubin isn't in it? That's not a good argument. They could find somebody else to be Hans Gruber. Now, Listen, maybe he would... All right. So if that's the question, if I lose... Lord of the Rings and the Star Trek films, and I lose Dread. Then I would go Carl Urban. No, that's not the question necessarily. Just that you wouldn't have them in those roles anymore. There, they would have been, but the movies wouldn't have ceased to exist. All right. Well, then yeah. Then, it, then it's then it is Alan Rickman. I think Urban is much more imminently replaceable than mm. Rickman is. Mm. Yeah, I I can't think of anything that Rickman really start in right i don't know i love dread too much i'm gonna go with carl Urban. screw that i don't care <laughs> really and this is about your affection for doom that movie yeah it is it is my secret my secret obsession good times no i think that's the incorrect choice but that's fine you're I'm allowed to have sure. your opinion to be wrong oh no it's it's right good so time. i have one more question for you Ooh, look at you yeah so it's not really a call it but it's a choice it's a choice between the two and i think i know the answer Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to put it out there anyway. So we got Suicide Squad next week. You going to the movie theater or are you going to watch it on HBO Max? Oh, I'm g- I already bought my Dolby ticket. Did you? Yeah. All right. What about safe you? out there. Out there in uh, the red zone over there. Yeah, I'll probably go see it in, in the theaters uh, just to be supportive. Look at you. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to wear my hazmat suit. I I started wearing my mask again in, in, yeah, in closed spaces. Your... That you're gonna, that you know, there you really should be from what the CDC is saying at this point, especially if you're in a high transmission area, which Florida is. That's right, baby. I think we're, are we number one? I don't know. We were. Mm. You keep going back with us, Louisiana and Texas, I think, are the big three right now. But, uh, oh, they canceled my show in New York. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that on your, on your feed. So I'm not pleased about that. Makes sense, though. It was inevitable, mm-hmm. I think. But yeah, no, IMAX. I'm sorry, Dolby. Dolby Digital. Is there okay. any IMAX scenes in this? I have no idea. Nah. You would know better than I do. So yeah, I'm going. Uh, I got my Dolby Digital ticket. So I'll be good to go for the Suicide Squad with a special guest. We'll be discussing that next week. Yeah. With a special super guest, Sean. So um, that'll be fun. One of the longtime listeners of the show. Mm-hmm. That's right, folks. If you want to actually be part of the show, hit us up. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Also, what are your thoughts on our call-it segments? Who would you choose? Would Arnold really be a good uh, Indiana Jones? Would he be a superior Indiana Jones? Impossible. Don't even <laughs> don't even throw that, in a, that into the ether. Good times. 
So we can Bernstein Bears that maybe in some way, Matt. Try and convince everybody that he was Indiana Jones. There you go. Yeah, and then of course, sort of the Suicide Squad will be Shogun Assassin, Shogun Assassin. and more all next week with a special guest. We have another thing planned coming up with a little uh, crossover with another podcast that'll be probably released in a week or so after that because I'll have to edit and stitch it together. But that'll be fun. We'll we'll tease that next week. So that'll be good times. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show, and we'll read that baby on air. And that's it, Matt. So why don't we go ahead, take an extended break. Please, everybody, get vaccinated. Please, I'm begging you. My show's already canceled. Do it for yourself. Do it for the kids. Let me tell you a story about a little fat boy that nobody loved and that all the other kids, they used to make fun of him and they would pick on him and, they, and, they, and then they used to say that he talked funny and stuff and he had a, and he had a twin brother and everybody, and, and, and everybody said that he didn't look anything like his twin brother but, but he wanted to. Hank, were you the little fat boy? No, no, but, but I used to like to beat him up. You know, I'd grab him and go, why are you so fat? Why are you so fat? And I'd beat the shit out of him. Ah!